we have lots of people, lots of evidence, and we don't need to be bullied by people to say, uh, can't believe that. Look, people aren't always going to agree with us. But that doesn't mean we don't have good grounds to believe what we believe. It's watering time, everybody. It's time for Apollo's Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today on our show, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations. Last week, we began a fascinating and quite encouraging conversation with Dr. Craig Keener. New Testament scholar and professor at Asbury Seminary about his new book from Baker Academic entitled Miracles Today. Now, many of you may hear the words Baker Academic and shut down, and you might think to yourself, this book is not for me, I'm not an academic. Or maybe you heard the terms Miracles Today and thought, well, those don't exist. May I suggest that you are wrong on both accounts? I I would beg you to listen because Dr. Keener sets out story after story of actual miracles that have occurred to real people today. I'm not talking about rumors, gossip, tabloid clickbait, fairy tales, or the testimonies of those prone to wild exaggerations, but actual verified stories of God healing. Stories that honestly, after reading them, made me put the book down and just weep. More than once, May I add, I was so blown away about how God had worked in the lives of people, and I was so encouraged at the same time, and I hope you will be as well. If you haven't listened to the first part of this conversation, then hit pause right now, go back, and listen to that episode first. Dr. Keener is a scholar's scholar and did the hard work of documenting, verifying, and showing that we not only have room to believe in miracles, but that we're not alone in doing so. Today, we continue this conversation about why miracles don't seem to happen as often in the West. We get into stories of actual healings, and we talk about what happens when God doesn't heal, a question that's in many of our minds. We also discuss about healing those with disabilities, And what about those who have been oppressed by demons? We tie it all together with the scripture as we always try to do. I think you're going to find this an interesting conversation. As always, this episode is sponsored in part by the New Living Translation, who, like us, believe that understanding the Bible changes everything. Happy listening. When you're talking about evangelism on the front lines, uh, or miracles on the front lines of evangelism. As we were talking in the pre-show walkthrough, um, I told you that I, I pastored a church where we had people that came from Africa and from Burma and uh, Myanmar. Mm-hmm. And I remember being overjoyed because it's my contention that God has brought the nations to us for one of two reasons, either to renew the church or to be reached meaning that you have people that are coming in that are Christian already and some that aren't. Either way, it's win-win to me. Um, But what often struck me is I would meet people that had been on fire for the Lord. They would talk about the miraculous. They would have these, they had prayer meetings back in their home country and they would come here and suddenly materialism kicked it. They got all the things they wanted and their faith would dissipate very, very quickly, which, which showed me, that it's sometimes we see that within the majority of world culture, but we also know how bad secularization can be and understanding how it is affecting us so on and so forth. But how do we help people to really see still and hold on to God's working? Cause we've, we've been given a gift in what we have here in our culture. And you mentioned that I'm not saying that we, we throw it out, but you, you, you made a specific Note, and I, I've got a point in this meandering. 
at the end of your book, you mentioned that God is close to the brokenhearted, the poor, those who don't have anything else. James, James chapter two, I think it's around verse five, has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith? But I live in a place right now where those things are all taken care of, where there's a lot of money. There's a lot of affluence. There's I mean, they're getting all their kids, whatever phones they want, picking their vacation destination, and yet they're in church on Sunday mornings. And there's a part of me that feels guilty and wonders why isn't, does, would God work in this situation? And how does that, how do, how do we do that? I, I had um, Philip Jenkins on the show, mm-hmm. and we were talking about his book, Fertility and Faith. Uh, and in the book, he documents, I don't know if you've read it or not, but in the book, he documents the uh, fertility rates in uh, cultures of the world. And the more secularized that culture had become, their birth rates would plummet, sexual identity issues would go up, et cetera, et cetera. And it's my contention that there's a Trojan horse that's been brought in to a lot of cultures with modernity, the, the seeds of the destruction, what we think is actually helping the church in the long run can actually harm it. So I'm looking at this going, okay, I'm in a modern Western culture right now. I believe God does the miraculous and I'm a little envious of him doing it on the front lines and our culture is continuing to become much more post-Christian and arrogant. I guess my question is, what do we do then? How do we respond? We're not in, this is where the world of the New Testament is very different than where we're at today. We're so affluent. And again, I know in ancient societies, there was affluence. I mean, you have the cows of Bashan. We talk about that in Amos. And, um, or, one, or four, two or something like yes. that. Yes. And, and I, I'm looking at that today going, though, okay, what God has blessed these cultures to be stewards. I mean, it, we have this money, this affluence. But I see it within Europe. I see any place where secularization has occurred, money has come in. And then people start to look at you as if you're a, a weirdo. I, and I, I know that. Uh, I was talking to a, uh, there was a, a church plant, a church, an old Baptist church in Swickley, Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh. Swickley is a very wealthy area, has more CEOs per capita, is what I've heard, than other places. A lot of the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins and Pittsburgh Steelers live in this little borough. And there was this little Baptist church that was struggling, and they were going door to door and knocking on these mansions of people's homes. And then people would answer and say, I don't need God. I've got more than you do. I have all this stuff. And, and you look at it and you go, oh. And I remember talking to a friend who was an Assemblies of God church planner, and he said, we do really well in planning in poor areas. We don't do very well in planning in affluent areas. So I, I guess my question is, is should we just deny the affluence and the blessing of God in that regard? How do we even view that and still cultivate this idea and dependence on the spirit of God to work? You do have people in the Bible who were blessed materially like Abraham and so on especially if they'd already proved their faith. But yeah, um, Deuteronomy 32, is it? When Jeshurun grew fat, she kicked. God warned that Israel would become, they would start loving his gifts more than the giver. Yeah. And John Wesley warned about that. A number, a number of people in history have warned about that. Uh, the monastic movements, I don't think we need to go as far as the monastic movements did, but I do appreciate that they were a witness to the wider church of what really matters most. And yeah, uh, Charles Finney, he was preaching at a wealthy New England church, uh, Lyman Beecher's church, which was very, very prominent in that, in that period. And he preached from Luke chapter 14, even so, none of you can be my disciple unless you give up all your possessions. And the pastor basically got up and apologized for what he said. He said, don't, don't worry. God, won't, God wants you to be willing to give up your possessions, but don't worry. You won't actually have to do it. Uh, whereupon Finney jumped back up and said, you don't lose all your possessions at the moment of your conversion, but you do lose your ownership of them. Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. He's Lord of everything. And we do see that in 1 Timothy 6. God has given us all things richly to enjoy, but be rich in giving. You know, if God has given you these things, 
be a good steward of these things. Giving is actually one of the gifts in, in Romans chapter 12. So it's not a sin. It's not how much you take in. It's what you do with the resources you have. The, the seven churches in Revelation, two of them, the only two actually that don't receive any rebukes, are the two churches that were suffering persecution. God says to one of them, the church in Smyrna, I know you're, you're poor, but you're really rich. In contrast to what he says to Laodicea, you think you're rich, but you're really poor. The church in different parts of the world has different tests. And we can't look at somebody else's test and say, oh, that one's easier. I wish I had that one. Or that one's harder. I could never pass that one. We don't get to choose our tests. But to all seven churches, the same exhortation to the one who overcomes, I'll give this. What we can do, we can, we're part of the global body of Christ. Let's listen to one another and learn from one another. And just the same way is on a local level, but the body of Christ has many members. We need all the members and their contribution. We need to learn from one another in the global body of Christ too. We have resources that can really benefit the church in some other parts of the world. I mean, some parts of the world are desperate for theological education. I almost, <laughs> there was a time when I was, I really almost decided I was going to stay in Nigeria and live there provided I got, you know, permanent visa, <laughs> because the students were so hungry for scripture. And I, I came back because I realized with my writing, you know, the particular place where I would have been staying, the power was off, <laughs> you know, one third of the time. And uh, it would be better I could write and then send books there. But, you know, we can learn a lot from one another. One of one of uh, one of my students at, at the uh, right now I teach at Asbury where I taught before was um, a, a Baptist seminary outside of Philadelphia, and one of my one of my students was from India, and while he was doing his Doctor of Ministry degree, he was also um, working security for the for the school because the exchange rate is so. <laughs> so bad between the U.S. and some other countries. So he was he was working uh, security one night, and I came in from the cold outside, and I had a splitting headache. And he said, oh, brother, let me pray for you. And he prayed for me, and nothing happened. Of course, the headache has since gone away, but uh, he prayed for me. Nothing happened. I said, that's ah, because I don't have any faith. He said, no, brother, I don't understand this. It always works when I pray for people in India, <laughs> but it doesn't work here. <laughs> he said his church had grown from <clears throat> maybe half a dozen people to about 600 people, all of them from a variety of non-Christian backgrounds. Because he, he prayed for the sick in this Baptist church, he would pray for anybody who was sick. They would normally get healed. And uh, they didn't all become Christians, but enough of them did that his church grew to like 600. Because there there, you really had to count the cost in that culture to become a Christian, mm -hmm. social ostracism, uh -huh. and so on. Of course, here, like you said, we can be called weirdos. But uh, you know, it was much more serious there. Even family ostracism could happen, although it was a, it was a fairly tolerant and open um, community in terms of um, religious dialogue and getting along. But anyway, he he said, these people, they've not been exposed to the gospel. God just wants to lavish his love on them to give them the opportunity. And in the West, you know, you have so many opportunities. So again, that, that's not to say we don't pray in faith and hang on. But there are some cases where you see it a lot more regularly than here. I was in India and I had a couple bring me a baby. Baby was dying. You know, the theoretical goes out the door when you're when you're holding 
a child that you can tell is on death's door and all you can think is get them to the hospital. That's my first reaction as a Westerner. Their reaction was, is I'm bringing it to him, bringing my baby to a holy man to pray to God, really. And I realized how deficient my, and, and I, I, I just kind of stood there. I mean, I prayed for the child. I never knew what happened, but that is where you really start to question. I, I find that a lot of churches like to deal more in the theoretical mm-hmm. and what could the Holy Spirit is supposed to do or what they think he should do. But when they're faced with a reality of a situation that God usually allows to occur for a reason to wake them up out of their, their spiritual arrogance, if you will. And, and that's why I, I do like your book in that it helps me to see that God still does operate that way. It chips away at my skepticism. I, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I hate to say that I'm a skeptic. People that have listened to this show, my father became a Christian a year before I was born. He was a diesel mechanic, tractor puller. And he got in, caught up in the full, and I don't say, we, we call it the word of faith movement now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was told if he had enough faith, because he started to feel sick and that if he had faith, he shouldn't go to the doctor. And it got, he's like, Oh, I have faith. So I didn't go to the doctor. And they said, if you have faith, you got to get rid of your insurance. So he got rid of all of his insurance. And then finally he is condition deteriorated so quickly that he had to go to the doctor. And they said, you have lung cancer and that spread to your brain. And then he was diagnosed in August and he was dead in February. I was four. He was 35. Just very, very quickly. And the odd thing is, it's not that I don't believe that God heals. I, I still do. You'd think, yeah, I mean, you could have gone a different one a different way, right? As a child, you grow up with that. Either you become a complete uh, atheist because of that. I, I didn't. God, I knew that God was the, the father to the fatherless, but I also knew there was... <laughs> This is where I'm a little bit like you. As a kid, I went, that doesn't sound right theologically. (laughs) However, I know a lot of people have that. I I had a a man at my church in New England who was told that if he claimed it by faith, whatever it was, that it would be okay. And he claimed a year, like this year is going to be our year. We claim it by faith in Jesus name. He lost his job. He had a stroke and then he killed himself. So, I mean, we know that we all know, we all have stories like this. Mine's not unique in that respect. That's why I find your work in this book specifically encouraging. Because it's a reminder to me that my skepticism and pessimism has been doused a little bit. The fire of my pessimism is doused by the water hose, if you will, uh, of God's word, and that God is still working and active. And then as I went away and I cried, reading some of the stories, I, I wanted to know, okay, Lord, I don't want to say I demand a sign. I, I, I don't, but I do, I do want to know more. I do want to know God more because of that. And I do want my brothers and sisters who are of that hard and fast idea that there is, there are no miracles. This to me is a good proof text that I don't want to say proof text, <laughs> support, support, evidence, evidence. Uh, argument, whatever you want to use um, for that. Is that the hope that you want? I mean, it has to me a couple of places. It's almost an apologetic for miracles. Really, it is an apologetic for miracles, but it's also an encouragement to believers and a challenge to skeptics. Is that what you hope God does with his books? Yes. Yes. In fact, somebody wrote to me maybe a week or two ago uh, maybe two weeks ago, something like that, just saying that as they were listening to the audiobook version, there was something they'd had for years, and they were suddenly healed. While listening to the book? Listening to the book. Li- listening to somebody's story in the book. I, I don't know whose story it was, but it was so encouraging to them, to their faith, that they suddenly experienced healing. <laughs> and that's... Um, Again, it's not, I just compiled the stories. There, other people went through these things. I mean, there are a few things I went through that are in the book too, but um, but it, it's God's work. It's not, that's why I, I refused to take any royalties for the book. I said, you know, 
this will all be donated to medical missions or, or whatever. Um, Dr. Chauncey Crandall, a cardiologist in West Palm Beach, he, uh, and this actually made local news there and a little bit uh, national for a while, he was um, making his rounds in the hospital when they called him into the ER. A guy had been flatlined there for 40 minutes and he checked everything. They'd done everything they could to revive him. There was no, there was no hope. After six minutes with, with no oxygen, irreparable brain damage starts in. So he signed the death certificate, was going back to his rounds. He felt led by the Holy Spirit to go back and pray for the man to have a second chance. He said he didn't feel much faith. The nurse was glaring at him like he's crazy, uh, but he prayed. They shocked him with the paddle one more time. Now, normally you don't get a normal heartbeat even after a couple minutes of being flatlined, but suddenly the guy had a normal heartbeat and the nurse started screaming, Dr. Crandall, Dr. Crandall, what have you done? The guy's extremities, he was, he was white. The guy's extremities had already turned black from cyanosis. I mean, his face and hands were black from lack of oxygen, but the guy ended up having no brain damage. He did have a second chance to know the Lord. Uh, Dr. Crandall got to participate in the man's baptism, Jeff Markin's baptism. But the backstory of that is that a couple years before this, Dr. Crandall's own son, Chad, died from leukemia. They prayed, they, they, they trusted God, when Chad died, they prayed that God would raise him. He like opened his eyes and then closed them again and he was gone. And Dr. Crandall said at that point, he had to make a decision. Am I going to keep trusting God? God is worthy of our trust when he does something and when he doesn't, he's still trustworthy. And it was because he came through that test that he was ready when the Holy Spirit sent him back to pray for Jeff Markin to have a second chance to know the Lord. I have another friend I worked with in Nigeria, Leo Bawa, who has done his, his PhD at Oxford Center for Mission Studies. Studies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Leo actually did some of the research uh, for earlier editions of Operation World on, on Nigeria. Well, he was in one in one village doing doing research, and the neighbors brought him their dead child and said, "Can you uh, can you do anything?" And I found out about this because when I was writing the first book, I said, "Well, a lot of my African friends have seen things. Let me just ask Leo." If he's seen anything, he said, I haven't seen much. He sent me seven pages. This was, this was one of them. He said, I took the child aside for a couple hours, praying desperately, and then handed the child back to them alive. And I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe the child was misdiagnosed as dead. You know, how maybe, maybe if you pray for everybody you think is dead, maybe once in a while it's gonna, you're gonna strike it lucky. I said, uh, have you ever prayed for anybody else who was dead? He said, once, my best friend. He didn't come back. But for God's glory in this, in this village that was pretty much unchurched, when Leo prayed, that child came back to life. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Water, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner together. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. 
There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today, because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. Talking about raising the dead, the, the sight, the deaf, which we haven't even talked about. You, you spend chapters, you spend a chapter for each one of these in the paralyzed. Um, one of the things that I thought that I thought was interesting though, you actually talk about cancer and in it, you mentioned that cancer as we know it today, wasn't known in the scripture at that time, not in the same way. They didn't have they, cancer they didn't like we do today. It. They didn't understand cancer. Um, how then should we understand that from a healing perspective today? Well, we have enough evidence in scripture that God heals that <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't have to be something specifically named in scripture. Some have argued that cancer was actually pretty rare back then <clears throat> based on studies of skeletons that have been excavated. Um, there are different reasons for why people think that. Some, some think that most people back then died a lot younger from something else before they got to the stage of cancer. <laughs> uh, and actually, again, thinking in, in terms of the blessings of medical technology, you know, in the, in the period in which the New Testament was written, the osteoarchaeological studies, the studies of the bones that have been excavated in different parts of the Mediterranean world, it's often estimated that the childhood mortality rate was about 40%. Mm. So, you know, today we're way, we're way beyond that. But, you know, it's, it's a terrible tragedy every time a child dies. But medical technology really has been a blessing from God. And so what they taught your father actually was harmful. It, was, it harmed your father. It harmed your family. It's important that people search the scriptures and get solid teaching on this. Just the fact that people in the Bible died. That was the normal course of events. Uh, so-and-so begot so-and-so, and they died. And miracles happen, and it's good to pray for them, to pray with confidence that God can do it. This might be one of the times when God will do it. So we pray with confidence. Mm -hmm. And we stand with people in faith in their, in their hardship as we pray for them. We don't just say, well, you know, it's all right. You'll die, but you'll go to heaven. I mean, people are hurting. We, we want to stand with them. But sickness and death are, and sin are still part of this, this world until Jesus comes back. And we need to recognize the reality of that, the already not yet of the kingdom. So like when John the Baptist, I know we're talking mostly about scripture rather than about, you know, the examples in the book, but, you know, I'm a Bible scholar, so what am I? <laughs> um, but when John the Baptist sends to Jesus, John had heard about Jesus healing people. But, you know, John had said, the one coming after me is going to baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. I don't hear about any fire, you know. Are you the one to come or should we look for somebody else? Jesus sends John's messengers back to John and says, you tell John what you've seen, what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the deaf hear, the uh, disabled walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Well, John should be able to figure out from that that these are signs of the kingdom that John was proclaiming because Jesus evokes two passages in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, the blind see, the deaf hear, disabled leap for joy, and Isaiah 61, the good news being preached to the poor. And in so doing, Jesus is saying, look, these, this is a foretaste of my kingdom. These are signs of my kingdom. And so, John, what you did wasn't in vain. The kingdom is coming. It's just not coming quite the way you expected, or all of it at once, the way you expected. When people say, uh, well, we'll be healed of everything when Jesus comes back. That's not just a cop-out. That's biblical. Mm -hmm. But we do get the foretastes now, 
And those are an encouragement to us to hold on. And so these accounts of the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the, the disabled walking uh, that I have in the book are meant to encourage our faith, to just highlight the gift of these healings that God has done for all of us. It's like one person in the book who was basically clinically dead, but I, I put him in the chapter on brain damage because they didn't officially say he was dead. But you know, the the you know the brain scan, the almost the whole brain was black. I mean, <laughs> total, total brain damage. His healing wasn't instantaneous uh, in that case. Some others were. When I interviewed him, he said, you know, I feel like this is a this was a gift not just to me, but it was a gift to other people. And that's why I'm willing to talk about it, to let other people know how good God is. And yeah, we go through hardships, but God is, God does show his glory at different times. And he says, I, I don't think God did this just for me. God did this for a lot of people. Talking about the blind, the deaf, seeing the dead. I mean, nothing's more miraculous to me than that. I mean, dead is dead. Um, oh, still in the storms, you know. They're <laughs> well, the natural, the natural miracles. You you do talk about that, but one of the questions that I have, and you you didn't touch on this in the book, but in the in a conversation, I was working with um, someone on our team, and their son is autistic, and we had been having a conversation uh, with another person, another person we were interviewing. He was struggling because we were getting into the aspect of demonization in the spiritual world he gets nervous because someone had once told him that your son has a demon of autism and it really crushed him because that just was put a unnecessary weight upon him what did you find in your research though with not just that like let's talk about autism here for a moment because you you mentioned cerebral palsy but what about something like a down syndrome how do we go about that is there healing not that there should be i think that god gives individuals especially the the, the children that i've met with downs or the adults i've met with downs i find it to be a great blessing uh in the church today but nevertheless i want to ask the question is there healing not that, again, not that there should be, but is there for them? I, I really didn't research that. There was one case in Brazil of somebody who was claiming to be healed of Down syndrome, and the investigation turned out that that wasn't actually the case. Uh, so I don't remember if I came across other cases of that, because I wasn't really looking for, for that. It was uh, starting with the, the categories that Jesus mentioned. Mm -hmm other things that came up along the way but sometimes god heals us and sometimes god gives us grace i've mentioned i i have adhd i should not be able to write these books that i write four thousand five hundred page books yeah. although um there is the blessing of being able to hyper focus sometimes mm -hmm. with adhd if you're not distracted but i had plenty of distractions and sometimes it was painful for me to just stay doing that research, disciplining myself to do the research. And I've, I've had to find ways to work around it. But I think that that brings God glory that he can, he can accomplish these things through somebody with that, uh, I don't, disability may be too strong a word. It's not like I'm, I, I'm functional. Um, some, some people may think I'm not. <laughs> Socially, I'm a little bit awkward. I'm, extreme introvert, uh, that, that actually helps me with the writing. <laughs> um, that reduces some distractions, but yeah, I, I, I can't answer that based on my own research, uh, but based on what we know of God, yeah, God can do it. Somebody actually wrote to me and said that he was, he was very short and he wanted to know if God could heal him from shortness. From yeah. <laughs> well, is, God was can. his name Zacchaeus. <laughs> God can't. God can do that, and but I didn't want to encourage him. I mean, I I said God can do that, but 
you know, God also can work with you the way you are. I think he, I, I may be wrong, but I got the impression that he, he was done growing. So, and he was concerned about his height. But I mean, you've got not just Zacchaeus, but you've got uh, Athanasius, who was yeah, the- The black dwarf. The black dwarf. I mean, yeah. you've got people, I know pastors, you know, who are very short and God uses them in, in mighty ways. So it's not like whether you're short, whether you're tall, whatever it is, I mean, it's not. Like God, God can make me thin. God can make me good looking. <laughs> you know, God could give me hair again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what, I, that's what I often introduce when I talk about miracles. I'm saying, I'm not saying that God always heals everything. You look at me, you can't tell right now, but normally I wear glasses. I'm nearsighted, so I don't need them for this. But you know, I wear glasses, I male pattern balding, and my students often say there's something else wrong with his head. But, you know, God God can work through us and in us the way we are, and that's part of his witness to the world, that no matter what situation you're in, God still loves you and God can still work through you. So again, to say that is not to downplay miracles, but we need we need to be led by the Spirit. <laughs> And, and open to what God will do. And yet there's certain things that he characteristically does in certain kinds of settings and other things he, he doesn't normally normally do, or at least often do. But like, like people people who say, well, have you ever seen a, a, an amputated appendage grow back? Well, I've not seen it. I do have eyewitness reports of it. And we do have a medically documented case where you know the, the small intestine in an adult it doesn't grow grow longer, it only grows wider. But in this case, where his small intestine had been so damaged by a diesel truck falling on him, he was a diesel mechanic like your father. The, the truck fell on him. Um, the surgeries removing the, the damaged tissue. He didn't have enough of the small intestine to survive. 112 centimeters is what it said in the book. I remember this very vividly. Your 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 memory is better than mine in this. Because <laughs> he needed 600, you needed like 600 to, and he only had 112 <laughs> centimeters. It, well, it, it, even before that, precipitated before that, they didn't even know he was alive after the truck hit they thought he was dead and was like 30 minutes or something they're all around and they they, and he find out he's alive it's like well wait a minute i mean that even itself that he lived is miraculous he has an experience with heaven yeah but he uh his his small intestine miraculously more than doubled in length at the moment a friend prayed for him in person he felt a jolt through his body he was he was healed, and the radiologist confirms this. Now, to actually measure the exact length, you'd have to cut him open, and yeah. you know stretch out the small intestine, which of course would kill him, which defeats the purpose of the miracle. But we also have other cases where you know after this he got really excited about about healing, and he started praying for other people. We have another case; it's medically documented, been written up in a medical journal of somebody he prayed for who had a disorder that's not known to go away on its own ever, who had this all his life, he was instantly and completely healed. And so it's written mm. up in a medical journal. When you wrote on in the book, like you said, you use the categories that Jesus did, but we have other categories where, I mean, there's healing, but then we get into the aspect of demonization. You didn't really seem to touch that. Is there a reason why? Uh, I didn't want to open another can of worms. The book was already okay. too long. That'll that'll have to be a separate book if 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 there's time to do it. I. It's also not as edifying. <laughs> um, mm. Usually, when I when I teach my classes and I'm talking about say the reliability of the Gospels and Acts, and I get to, you know, we have analogies for these things today. After everybody's all excited about the miracles, I say, okay, now we have to talk about demons. <laughs> Not as exciting. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite, uh, yeah, it's, I don't like demons. But I'm glad. <laughs> That's good. You're a yeah. New Testament scholar. I'm glad you don't <laughs> like demons. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but in my first book, I've got about 60 pages. Put them in the appendices, Appendix A and Appendix B. Appendix A, dealing with what we know about ancient demonology, 
just working with ancient sources historically. Mm -hmm. Appendix B, going to the anthropological literature and showing how spirit possession is widely documented in a majority of the world's cultures. Most of the anthropologists were not thinking when they wrote these studies, these are actual spirits, but they documented the kind of experiences we read about in the New Testament that are indigenously interpreted that way. And some of the anthropologists initially loath to put this in an anthropological journal article, but eventually some of them started coming out and saying, I actually think that there were real spirits involved in this. Now, I think that's a minority of anthropologists, but recognizing that, okay, the indigenous interpretation deserves some respect. Missiologists, anthropologists, psychiatrists, sociologists tend to interpret this in different ways. And we can learn, I think, from all of them. But, you know, as a Christian who believes in what's recorded in scripture and the interpretation that's given to us in scripture, I, I do believe there really are spirits. And I could give you a lot of stories about that. Now, in terms of spirits and healing, so you see in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29, Jesus heals a man who's... Uh, well, his symptoms look like epilepsy, uh, but but he's demonized. He's, yeah, cast him in the fire. You cast him into yeah, the fire. Yeah, cast right? him in the water in the fire to yeah. destroy him. And he says, "My and, son, how long has he been like this? He's been like this since since his youth." Yeah, yeah. So he and, had. You have to think that. He, I mean, who knows? But he maybe had burns all over his body. I mean, the demon could maybe keep that. A, but you just yeah. wonder what this guy had gone through. This young man had gone through. But keep going. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, and there was another. There was another man who had a spirit of muteness that Jesus healed. Um, from Nepal, a pastor testified that there were three sisters who had all gone mute at the same time. The pastor cast out a demon. All three of them were healed. Now, does that mean that muteness is always caused by a demon? Of course not. Of course not, right. And is epilepsy always caused by a demon? No, it's caused by certain things in the brain. So, it... But at the same time, there can be different levels of causation, which through most of history, philosophers recognized the possibility of different levels of, of causation. I mean, Aristotle was big on that, and through the Middle Ages, people were big on that. Um, so if, if a demon inhabits somebody, can they cause them mental distress? Yeah, often. <laughs> If a demon inhabits somebody, can they afflict a, a certain part of the person's anatomy? Can they work through natural causes to do that? Yes. But there are also cases where some psychiatrists, and again, I would not say this is the majority of psychiatrists, but like one psychiatrist I interviewed in New Zealand, he was like, <laughs> this is why he left psychiatry. He was enrolled to do a Master of Divinity degree. He'd been a psychiatrist for a couple decades. But there were cases where there was no psychiatric, physiological, psychological reason for the, for the way the person was this way. And there were, it was just, it couldn't be explained in any other way. Hmm. He and the nurse independently, not speaking about this until afterwards, when they started interviewing the person, the temperature in the room dropped 10 degrees suddenly. Mm. Um, I have another psychiatrist friend. Uh, she was, uh, she was a, an undergraduate when I was doing my doctorate, and we met through a campus ministry, and then later on she became a psychiatrist, and she shared with me stories. She, she isn't ready to share her name publicly because you know, it could hurt her practice, but... There were cases where there was no other explanation for this. Uh, I think it's Scott Peck in The Road Less Traveled. He mentioned two cases that couldn't be explained any other way. Now, some of, the, some of these people are minimalists in the sense that it has to be explicable no other way before they'll say it's a demon. And, you know, from a psychiatric standpoint, I guess that's what they should do. I think spiritual things have to be spiritually discerned. So sometimes it can be more than one factor. But yeah, it's 
there's there, one one article said uh, when when in doubt cast it out <laughs> question mark <laughs> no <laughs> it's not always a demon <laughs> so um Sometimes it's something else. Uh, and, and, and Catholic exorcists normally, they, they refer to psychiatrists first. And when everything else has been exhausted, if none of that works, then they bring them to the, to the exorcist. So it, uh, but, but we have so many reports of this. People who trafficked in demons, who put curses on people, and for mm-hmm. people who think that's unbiblical, there's no such thing as curses. Just go back and read about Balaam and mm-hmm. Numbers mm-hmm. two or, or whatever. But uh, Proverbs does say a curse undeserved won't alight. So walk with the Lord. But anyway, um, pe- people who put per- curses on people and they died. Of course, people all die eventually, but they they uh, you know they would die right away. And large numbers of these spirit practitioners have become Christians as they encountered Christian witnesses who displayed access to greater power, who were able to cast out demons and and so on. So uh, one of our demon students, not demon, but one of our- Doctorate of Ministry. (laughs) Short form is (laughs) D-men. At at, at Asbury Seminary um, from, from Indonesia, back in 2011 he he sent me pictures of i think it was 28 20 maybe it was 21 um of these witch doctors he called them who were being baptized by him after his preaching in their in their mountain region because they'd seen that the power of god was greater it's what missiologists call power encounters Mm -hmm. so god's power is greater but is there a reality to it? I, you know, I like to choose my battles, and I, I like to persuade people about the reality of God. You know, if they don't want to believe in demons, I'm not. <laughs> I'd rather persuade them about the good side. But at mm-hmm. the same time, there is a reality there. So I can share this from my Congolese brother-in-law, who has a PhD from France, well, he's deceased now, but had a PhD from France in chemistry, was a chemistry professor at the University of Brazzaville, man of science, a no-nonsense kind of person, but he also is a Sunday school teacher, and in his Sunday school class, uh, they had a pretty big Sunday school, there were these three boys who always stuck together. I even hate to tell this story. Do you want me to tell this story? Uh, I'm, I'm ready, yeah, just go ahead. Uh, if it doesn't work, we'll edit it out. It's yeah, it's a horrible. It has a happy ending, but it's a horrible story for the people who don't make it to the ending. So there was three three boys who always came to the the class. One of them fell sick, and after a couple of months, he died. Upon which the second one fell sick, and after a month, he died. At which point, the third one came to the Sunday school teachers and said, please pray for me. This is what happened. That that months earlier, they'd met a man on the street at night who said that he, he had magical powers. He could give them spiritual power. They'd become government ministers or whatever. Just needed to take a little bit of their blood. So he cut each of them with his knife. And... One night, the first one, the the eldest boy had a a nightmare in which that same guy from the street stabbed him with that knife. He immediately fell sick. The night that he died, the second one had the same nightmare. The night that he died, the third one had the same nightmare. Well, the guy on the street had said, don't tell anybody this. You know, it's just a secret. That's how it will work. It obviously wasn't working. So he came to the Sunday school teachers and they took it seriously. They prayed and fasted during the day for nine days, came and prayed for him. He was healed. And uh, years later, when I talked with my brother-in-law, he was still, the, the young man at that point was still, still fine. It hadn't come back. But just to say, okay, well, you could try to explain that psychosomatically, but personally, I think there are other explanations that are simpler, (laughs) 
more economical to use econo uh, to use Occam's razor. Just a materialistic worldview excludes these things. But if you don't a priori exclude them, and you're not totally reductionistic, there is evidence for them, even in the anthropological literature. Edith Turner, a lecturer at the University of Virginia, spent decades, I believe, in, in uh, Africa and elsewhere as an anthropologist. And during a, a spirit, a traditional religion spirit ceremony in, in, I think it was Zimbabwe or Zambia, um, she said she witnessed this green blob come out of the person's back. And she said, okay, I'm tired of pretending there's an anthropologist. I have to impose a Western grid on everything. Um, the indigenous explanation makes a whole lot more sense for this green blob coming out of the person's back where there was no orifice or anything. And so now she teaches her students. She's editor of an anthropology journal, Anthropology and Humanism. She teaches her students to experience spirit possession as a cross-cultural experience. Now, obviously, in seminaries, we do not teach our students to do that, <laughs> okay? But just to say, it's not just from a Christian perspective. There, there, there are reasons to believe that there are real entities involved in this. But whether a person believes they're real entities or not, the descriptions in the Gospels certainly fit, and Acts certainly fit what we have in the anthropological literature, these observations by people who didn't even believe they were real spirits, usually. And to say that that's no reason to discount the accounts we have in the Gospels. They mm. could very easily go back to eyewitnesses, which I think they do, but um, that's a that's another story, uh, another another episode or whatever. Another episode, another episode. Well, I I, I want to finish up here. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time and willing to discuss the book. Um, how can people end on something other than demons, please? <laughs> yes, no, no, no. Let's well, let's do that because really the hope is is that God works, that God is still working in our world. God heals, and as you said, these are foretastes of the kingdom. The, this is what we have to look forward to is the culmination of the time that we are with him and he will remove every tear from our eye and 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 heal uh, the ultimate healing occurs when we will be with him and we shall see him as his, as he is for we shall be like him and it's it's incredible to me that we're already partakers of the divine nature and something that I'm still trying to I think we are all trying to wrestle with and try to understand these glories that God has enabled us to be a part of and while we know that the the demonic world is loosened for a time and that there is evil in the world. It's so clear. And in our culture today, people I think are becoming more aware of it because it's so such a departure of what they have known, what they grew up with, and the fact that we're much more aware of things technologically. But we do know that God is ultimately going to be victorious, whether we're talking about, it doesn't matter really about the culture per se, but we know that God's kingdom is going to to happen and, and it's going to be consummated. And for that, we can we can find hope and an encouragement. And that's why I think that your book is so important for us to find that encouragement today, to be reminded that God, God is working and has been working and transforms hearts and transforms minds in ways that we don't always feel. We we expect, we try, we hope, we pray, and we we fight as you said we continue to barrage heaven if you will holding on to god i love how you gave blind bartimaeus you know when they tell him to, to be quiet and it says he <laughs> shouted all the louder yeah. son of david have mercy on me i love that passage a, a pattern yeah of, of people coming to jesus they're the ones whose stories get told the most you know yes people who wouldn't let the crowd deter them they opened up the roof above jesus to let them that's the encouragement part to know that God is near to the brokenhearted and that for all of those who are listening today that they we don't want you to be discouraged you might wonder why you haven't encountered healing yet but hold on and God might again like we we could talk about those that God may have allowed this for a time for his reason for his glory we don't know and he wants to increase our faith in the, in the midst of it we don't know these things we don't have the complete mind of God and understand everything that God has done but we trust Johnny Erickson Tata. I mean, she is great example. He's done so much as a disability advocate that mm -hmm. you know God uses her in that that situation. Disability. And in, in a in a 
just magnificent, uh, great way. And I, I, I've been reading another book, uh, Renovate by Jim Wilder, a neurotheologian, and in it, he's talking about Dallas Willard. And Dallas came to him and said, the Lord has told me that I have a year left. And it's like he knew it. He knew he it got allowed that for him. And that's exactly what happened. He found out he had cancer and then it slowly just weaned away. But we do know that God allows these things to shape us and that he is going to accomplish his will. And as C.S. Lewis said, he's good in the Chronicles of Narnia. He's not a tame lion, but he's good. And whatever God does, we know that it's for our good and that he's going to accomplish his purpose and we need to trust in that. So I, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and be willing to talk about this book and for writing the book to be such an encouragement for the body. You got any concluding thoughts for us? Yes, I thought I should mention, because sometimes people say, ah, well, that's a one-off. Well, we have a, if it's a one-off, we have a whole bunch of one-offs. So <laughs> let me just respond to that. You know, they say it's it's an anomaly. You can you can you can say that so many times, but after you get enough anomalies and there's a pattern to them, you might start thinking that your worldview needs to be ready to accommodate right. this. And so, there was a Pew Forum survey that was done. Uh, was it 2006, where you, you put the figures together from this survey? You've got hundreds of millions of people globally who claim to have witnessed or experienced divine healing. Mm -hmm. Had a survey done of a thousand physicians in the US where over half of them said that they had witnessed miracles. And, and keep in mind, you know, the, the physicians are trained. I mean, they're not all reductive. They're question, right. They're, they're trying to question. <laughs> but the, yeah, they're trained to, you know, if something can be explained in another way, that's how you normally do it. It can still be God's providence, but uh, but who had seen things that couldn't be explained in another way. Um, and the, the context of that question was miracles like the kind that are reported in the New Testament. So we have lots of people, <laughs> lots of evidence, and we don't need to be bullied by people to say, uh, can't believe that. Look, people aren't always going to agree with us. But that doesn't mean we don't have good grounds to believe what we believe. That's an amen. An amen and an amen to conclude with that. And again, thank you for coming on the show. I do recommend people read the book. They'll find a tremendous amount of encouragement. And God bless you and your ministry. And thank you for coming on Apollos Watered. Thank you, Apollos. Craig is not a jokester or some larger-than-life personality. Instead, he's a world-class researcher. But he's not just about the mind, which is what I enjoy about him most. Rather, he is about the truth of the faith and how it is lived out in the world. And his calling is to show us how our faith is grounded in truth. He's not a man prone to exaggeration. His documentation is excellent. This is a serious scholar compiling mountains of evidence. Oh, <laughs> and showing that even secular academics are having to take these things seriously. I want you to be encouraged by this conversation. Even though I know we don't always know how or why God heals or doesn't heal. We don't get all the answers we want in this life. But what Craig Keener has done should be an encouragement to us all. God has shown himself to be a healer, a God who does the miraculous. He has shown himself to be more powerful than disease, disabilities, demons, and yes, even death. God is the God of life and wholeness. This is why he sent Jesus to rescue us. This is why we should respond in worship to him. I hope you have found this conversation a balm to your soul. If it was, can you please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen? It really helps others to find us. Share it with a friend who you think could benefit. We really appreciate it. And as you are able, would you go to apolloswater.org and click the Support Us button? Your donations allow us to keep having conversations like this one. 
I want to thank our Apollos Water team of Kevin, Melissa, Eliana, and Rebecca. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Water. Stay watered, everybody. Thank you.